This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have our first in-studio episode, in-person, in real life, real humans, not on the internet, uh, so no Wi-Fi issues theoretically in this one. It's uh, with Christoph Lentz. Christoph is uh, not just, I think, the most fun boot, like Lord of the Boot type person um, in the industry, but he's also like thoughtful, understands what actual skiers want, actually trying to make things better, um, and has some amazing new stuff coming out in the next couple of years from Fisher. But we also answer everyone's questions, uh, kind of talk about some of the finer points of boot fitting, but also very like general baseline stuff that you may not know or may know and we actually like, this is a fun conversation somehow while we just talk about boots. Obviously, we talk about the greatest kid boot that's ever been made. I actually just sold one in the shop like two hours ago. And uh, kids are hyped. They're light. They're great. I mean, this is not an ad. I think we have a Fisher ad today, but nonetheless, I digress. That's what that's what people say. That's what people with college education say is I digress. Um, before we jump into ads, because we do have a couple of those today, uh, someone left us a voicemail, so we're going to listen to that if Ethan wants to hit play. Hey, what's going on? It's Donnie Pelletier calling to chat about the ski industry. I saw you put up that friggin' note on the Instagram there and really wanted to call and talk about turning and how it's a fast, really. Turning is a fast. Most folks, you know, in the ski industry, they talk about, oh, look at that guy, he right there, he's got a nice turn. What most people don't know about turns is it just makes you go slower. I don't I don't think people have gotten that through their heads where if you're going to turn, it's going to slow you down. So I think I'm starting to campaign this winter about not turning. And uh, I think people will start to figure out that they can start to go quite a bit faster. And uh, anyways... Wanted to let you know that I'll be at the friggin' Granite Backcountry Alliance Film Festival there at the Portland State Theater right there on whatever it is, Commercial Street or Congress Street or whatever it is. And uh, I'll be hosting that thing. So we'll talk more about it at a later date. See you later. <laughs> that is uh, that is the iconic Donnie Pelletier and I, I tend to agree with him. I think straight lining is cool. I think uh, we saw turns come back and become cool a few years ago. And uh, the next phase of that is the Donnie Pelletier straight skiing campaign. Ski straight skis, ski them straight, go on a straight line. I think uh, there's something to be had here. And I am excited to see Donnie in Portland uh, in December. So uh, we'll keep that info in the show notes. Thank you for the call in, Donnie. If people have commentary to direct towards Donnie, leave it in the comments or... Uh, send us a DM, and I will make sure that the Maine's best athlete finds it, uh, gets it in front of him. So, um, anyway, if you'd like to leave a voicemail message, I don't know the phone number. Ethan, what's the phone number? 877-927-3955. Okay, whatever Ethan just said, that's where you call in to leave a voicemail. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Play it on the show, especially if it's something good. We're kind of playing these without listening to them first, so... TBD if yours gets played or not. So call on in the web. The number is also on the website, outofpodcast.com. And without further ado, we get into our Muir Energy tip of the week. Uh, tip of the week is brought to you by our friends at Muir Energy, and they want to tell you to 
make sure that you pack a snack, okay? On your tour, on your bike ride, on your long run, pack a snack, preferably something with some carbs in it, um, preferably something that's somewhat fast burning. Um, for example, a gel is a great option to put in your pocket, in your snack pocket, in your butt pocket, in any of those pockets, keep a gel or a snack. I honestly like, I kind of bring candy bars a lot. Like I bring Twizzlers a lot. Obviously I bring your energy stuff a lot. Those gels are great because they're like a little thicker. They're like actual food. Um, so cashew vanilla mate is what I have in front of me. There's a lot of great uh, flavors and options from your energy. Go to mirenergy.com. Um, I believe the promo code still works. You can use promo code out of bounds. Otherwise, they got a lot of great deals always, and the product is excellent. It's only like five or six ingredients, so it's not bad for your body. Keep that in mind. That's your mirror energy tip of the week. Bring a snack with you always. Uh, next, we have our friends at 686. 686 makes the best technical apparel uh, that is available to humankind. Uh, currently, and this is Black Friday weekend, they're running a sale on their site, TBD, on if that site will still be available to you this Monday. But... Uh, the stuff is incredible. They make all kinds of stuff from like streetwear, active wear, like they have this ATP collection. It's basically what I've been living in uh, for the past few months. The stuff is the stuff is really dope. The 686 Rocky boots are great. If you want to like just make me sad, you can go and buy a bunch of Grateful Dead collab stuff because they have plenty of that. And we'll say they do a very good job at it, even though I'm like, whatever about Grateful Dead collapse. I'm kind of over it at this point. Uh, tons of great regular apparel, but also the snow apparel is insane. We just all, Ethan, X, and I all got new Gore-Tex kits. They're fire. Gray boys, concrete boys, slate men uh, coming to a slope near you this winter season. Okay? 686.com. Check it out. Let them know we sent you. Leave it in the comments as you order your stuff or go to your local ski shop and uh, and just try some stuff on. Okay? Cool. Uh, one last one. We have Rumple. Rumple is the original puffy blanket. We have one behind me. Um, this artwork is done by the wonderful Brooklyn Bell. There is all kinds of different artwork, uh, all kinds of different colors. The Rumple Carhartt one is one that I actually bought for myself. It's pretty insane because it's got Sherpa on the inside of it. It's real soft and fluffy and nice and very Carhartty. Uh, big fan of that stuff. All kinds of different colors in that collab as well as a poncho. Uh, there is, uh, there's no limit to what these people can make out of blanket material. Um, the towels, obviously I've talked about a million times, but nonetheless, go to rumple.com, use promo code out of bounds, save yourself some money. There's also a sale going on on their website at current snag yourself some deals. If you hear this in time, rumple.com. And without further ado, let's talk about ski boots with my friend, Christoph Lentz. My name is Christoph Lentz, the product manager for Alpine ski boots, Fisher based in Austria, but American-born, grew up in Park City. Uh, we're doing the, the road show and finishing up sales meetings in New England, East Coast, North America, and yeah, before Thanksgiving, meeting the family, so. Just out here for not that long of a time, but long enough of a time to exactly. be tired and exhausted. Uh, yeah, full, full program. Nice. Lots of boot chat, ski chat. Um, with COVID, we did not travel as much, especially yeah. into shops, and it's always good for us to see what's on the walls, what's selling, and I mean, those, yeah. the people who have boots in their hands all day, every day, have 
great feedback for us. So let me let me ask you this then. Uh, how much does it actually matter, right? Like people give you their opinions all the time, I'm sure, especially in shops. Like that's one of a shop kid or adult's favorite thing to do is like make their opinion heard, right? And I think like everybody that is in your position kind of deals with this a lot. D- does it matter to you? Do you actually like that feedback? How do you sift through the good feedback versus the stuff that's just like people wanting to hear themselves talk? Yeah, I mean, uh, we need feedback. We yeah. like are often too in detail and are focused on different things. So it's awesome to get feedback. I think by now I've gotten better at it from sifting through the different types of feedbacks. People who just want to say something and like yeah. come up with a question just to like say I raised my hand and asked a question. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, the last couple of days meeting boot fitters who immediately take the boot apart and start measuring things and are saying like looking at it detail, you kind of, you realize really quickly what kind of perspective this person is bringing and yeah. like the standard feedback. Oh, it's awesome. It's yeah. Like we, I'd rather hear critique and saying like, why is this this way? Have you thought about this? I have this problem. I, that helps me more than yeah. I'm so sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard, I think it's a hard thing for people to say. And I, I feel like a lot of times it's the older guys that are willing to give you actual feedback. You know what I mean? Cause they're comfortable and they're not afraid of you being like offended yeah. about it. Right. And they actually want, to give genuine feedback? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're when we're going through the design process as well, there's, that's so sick. I would love to buy that. I would ski that boot. And, mm. I mean, the, the operative thing that we're always trying to get to, the million-dollar question is, can you sell that boot? Is that yeah. something that like makes sense for the company and everybody involved and that we're not trying to build the thing for yeah. the one shop kid? It's included in that, but we can't only hear that kind of feedback you need you need the the wide yeah. wide range of things and that's where these trips are cool you hear yeah. all types of race boot fitters you hear the kind of commercial chain stores as well and then yeah. specialists i mean everybody's carrying a different mix of stuff some people are psyched on junior stuff some yeah yeah it's funny i always like i always feel a bit uncomfortable like talking about the super high end product Right, because I think so much of the market is that middle area where where most gears exist, right? Like we all like to talk about the fancy shit. And I'm sure I've talked to you about this before where it's like we talk about that thousand dollar boot, right? And the industry focuses on it so heavily, but there's this huge area that gets missed out on and it's like that middle of the line product that people actually spend retail money on. Yep. Right. Because a lot of times the people that are buying that super high end boot are buying it end of season, year after, or they're buying it on pro form. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think we're as equal to blame as the ski media. Yeah. I mean, you have the one, totally thirty pro model, shiny, <laughs> new, all of the tech in it. Um, I think for this year, I had, and it's been a focus as we're bringing in the new boot collection. Is I actually start my, all my presentations with the one hundred and ten yeah. MV model and talk about yeah. everything that's going on there. Right. Um, in our case, we have a lot new and. Uh, only after we've kind of covered the base model saying like, this is where you're going to sell the most of them. Let's look at everything else that's specced up from this with additional features instead of starting at the top. Cause then the conversation is like, here's everything. Here's the best of the best. Mm. And on this next model, we took stuff away and here we took stuff away. Yeah. We started at the bottom. And like, I think that was a focus for us is to be stoked on that price point 
yeah. however you call it, 90, 100, 110 level, where we know the quantities are way bigger than on some exclusive 130 top of the line pro model. Right. It's just how the market is right. internationally. Right. I think a lot of people too can get away with skiing 110. You know what I mean? Like a lot of skiers, not only are they at that level, I think good skiers can also get away with skiing a softer boot, right? And they're willing to save some money, sacrifice a little performance and get into a boot like that. So I think, and we'll talk about the new line and why that's important at the end of this. Um, but, but it is interesting to see the way that everybody pushes it. It's, and I kind of always go back and forth. We've had the conversation about like women's 130 boots. It's like, should that should exist obviously. And it should exist down to a 22, maybe even a 21 in some instances, but it's really it, like, that's such a small piece of the pie. Mm. And I think people get obsessed with the idea that they need a 130 or honestly, like I'm happiest skiing 120. Like in most cases, yeah. right? Like a stiffer all mountain boot, like a true 120. And this is actually somebody's question that we'll kind of get into later is about flex, but a true like all mountain 120. I usually like to ski better than a 130 in a lot of cases. I think, uh, yeah, it's the age old discussion about what are flex numbers and yeah. in the world we are in is it is a stand in for price point and the amount of features and I think the luxury in North American market, and from my perspective, it's been clear over the last few years, is like there the focus is on I want that top pro model, that whatever yeah. orange Technica, and not right. the, not the black one. I want that color. I'm I've got this vision of what I want. And in Europe, it's it's a little bit different where people are starting from the bottom and they need to be upsold on each one. And yeah, your your problem is yeah like. You don't necessarily want to downsell that excited 130 customer to yeah. a cheaper boot, but you almost have to. It's sometimes. the balance that, that, at least where the status quo is internationally. Um, Whose fault is that? You think? You think that's just the culture in this country? Or you think that's Lang's fault for making a blue boot that was high performance, and everybody decided like this bright color blue boot is what? Because like to me, that's what sticks in my head, right? I mean, it's uh, it's uh, I think it's a capitalistic decision in terms of yeah making the most revenue in in the in the industry where you know if you lower the price you're going to get more more people interested on the race boot side you've seen it for we've had it for a long time that yeah. uh 170 a 150 a 130 flex right. race boot all cost the same right and it's like a minor adjustment in terms of flex material but in the commercial segment it's yeah the dealer wants to have those different price options on the wall too I'm all for making them all an entire collection at the 130 price point or the 120 <laughs> price point, but that's the the realities of the yeah sales environment. Um, so you mentioned boot fitting a little bit. I one of the things I kind of want to touch on because I think it's important, but I think I think both sides of this are important. How do we feel about boots as they stand today? Right, I think boot fitters. I've had this concern brought to me a few times where people are are almost worried that their position as a boot fitter is less important right and i've also seen it from the consumer side where they're like oh no boots fit extremely well why would i need to do all this stuff to dial it in so in your eyes the role of a boot fitter in a, you know current 2020 2023 what year are we in 2022 oh, 2023 still, yeah. yeah whatever the 2020s yeah how most boots fit well, right? You know, like most boots fit excellent out of the box and need pretty minor adjustments to make it on somebody's foot. I think there's a clear trend. And I mean, that's the focus of all of us and everybody else in my position at the other brands is to make a boot that 
fits as well, that skis yeah. as well as possible, that meets the needs of that consumer. Um, I think there's been a lot of progress, and I think especially in the last, I don't know, three, four years, if you look at what's happened with kind of commercial on-piece performance boots, the the fit, the quality is is catching up. Yep. Um, I still think the, the, the role of a specialist boot fitter, a boot fitter, is critical to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you need to try on these boots, and regardless of if they all fit well, um, one of them will fit better for you. And we yeah. know that a Nordica has a different shape than a Technica, which has a different shape right. than Atomic, which has a different shape to a Fisher. And every boot, I mean, all the feet are different. So I think that's critical. Um, on our side, we topic of custom insole. Right. I mean, for me, with a race background as well as like is the bare minimum that should be done. Yeah. And we see that as like the the boot fitter, the the retailer needs to be involved to to mm. get that part correct. Um, yeah, and I think the just general sizing of it. I mean, it's still a hard plastic, yeah, shell with yeah. with lots of stiff materials. It doesn't fit like a standard street shoe. Like yeah, to guide through that process to avoid future problems. I think it's always there. Um, lots of kind of optional performance tunes. Um, and on, on our boots, we've got different Velcro pads, different spoilers, volume reducers, where you can make quick reversible changes. Yeah. And you need some point of contact to, like, help help you care for your boots, do right. those little adjustments, have those little parts. Right. Um, to service things, I mean, I don't see it going anywhere. I think the right in the realm of e-com – and this is my personal opinion. It doesn't don't speak for for everybody at the company, but I think the the future where the retailers perhaps carrying less inventory mm-hmm. in stock moves into maybe more a per appointment. Yeah. But that, I mean, you can't buy a boot online and get the same end result and ultimately the same ski experience without having somebody you trust to help work through those little things. And I mean, the boots cost a lot of money. It's it scares me when I hear of people in their kitchen going with the knife and oh my God. boiling pot of water and just like you can <laughs> fuck it up pretty quickly <laughs> as well. Like I don't know, trust no, it's the, a warranty claim. Trust the guy. It's like it's a an experienced technician yeah. and like it. I don't know. We all know what a what a boot fitter will do to the experience, but um, I think regardless of how how the brands develop, I think that's a crucial link. Yeah. For for the for the end consumer to get the best best ski experience possible yeah and i guess i'm not like to clarify too i'm not in any way saying that boot fitters are not relevant or not important for certain aspects of it it's just like sometimes i feel like it almost gives a negative connotation to the end consumer where they do all this smoke and mirror stuff that could be eliminated from the gig obviously there's some really good boot fitters that are just to me it's like you're trying to do the least work possible right like a solid boot fitter is trying to get you in the right boot that needs the least amount of work out of the box to fit your foot well, right? Not trying to take this boot that doesn't fit someone's foot because it's what you have on the wall and, like, rig it up so that it works. So I always wonder, like, okay, these boots are getting better and better and better every year. I I would never be able to buy a boot online. Like, it doesn't make sense to me, but you're starting to see that happen more and more and more every year. So – it, it almost like goes back to the need of a, of a professional boot fitter as opposed to getting further away from it as we kind of get into that online space. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, 
we've explored things on the scan side. Yeah. And I don't think, yeah, we necessarily need to go down that rabbit hole. But I mean, I think regardless, you buy a boot online, you buy a ski, you buy a binding, you buy a, maybe even a skin. Crazy. Yeah. The whole package. I mean, I'd say nine out of ten of those people are coming back into the shop anyway to get it mounted. And for sure, to, yeah. Like probably don't have the right break for the binding they bought online. Yeah. And like need to do that whole thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's a question of kind of inventory management in that sense. Like that person's yeah. coming in and it sucks for for a busy shop on a Saturday when somebody comes in with an online purchase and they bought a boot that's a size too big and they're saying like you have less control of it. Um Yeah, I I've suggested everybody goes to a boot fitter. I mean, just yeah. alone. Or at back. least to a retail shop that you can try stuff on. And, like, the try and go buy online is the worst thing that you could do to a shop. Like, either buy it online and give them, like, pay them as their time for a boot fitter. Yeah. Or buy the boot from the shop, you know, and get that service and kind of get that kind of baked into the whole deal. Trying it on and buying it online is, like, one of the most <laughs> fucked up things I think you could do as a as a consumer yeah. to a shop. Because then it's, like, a complete disrespect for the time that the shop has, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're starting to see shop, some shops like charging to try on boots. Yeah. You know, like to provide, I don't like that method. Like it is a thing that people do, but it almost feels like too defensive. Like you're too closed off to people, but it does work. Like it prevents people from going in and just trying to like, and even if it's 25 bucks, you know, and you get it refunded if you buy a boot, it's, it's a little bit of a weird rabbit hole. It's almost like you're pretending that people don't want to buy these boots online. And and I agree with you. I think you're seeing it in bike. You're seeing it in ski. You're seeing it in boots. We're lucky that these items are serviceable Yeah, for shops, right? Because otherwise, what's the real need? Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it comes down to information as well. I mean, the yeah. the market has is developed with a lot of really good boots and skis and everything else. But, um, I mean, as a consumer, you know, you guys are doing gear reviews as well. I mean, yeah. there's just a shit ton of products out there yeah and so as a consumer you're overwhelmed i think the that conversation chatting with somebody and not even talking about skiing necessarily is like where do you live what yeah. are your goals this winter yeah like do you do any other sports do you have you worn hockey skates a right. lot like are you do you have any injuries like those right. kind of things like you're never going to be able to get solved online and right. i mean between a, a poor boot fit or a fit that a boot that fits poorly is like a day ruiner like right nobody should have to deal with feet hurt i think as some of the questions that came in like that should not be foot hurt foot hurt <laughs> like we don't want foot hurt yeah and it's possible to <laughs> ski or even regardless of what your feet yeah. look like it's yeah. just that's a process and uh right it's the money is is well worth the time to like shortcut and get something that works for you. It's like the critical intimate link to to your whole ski package. Right. Um, doesn't matter what top sheet you have on your skis; they're all good as well. Yeah. Like get something that works for you, where you're skiing pain free and you're not while you're going down thinking right. about man, my pinky toe hurts a lot. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny too because there's also boot fitters that go and they ruin that, right? And they're not even really boot fit. They're just going in. They're trying to sell you a boot like you know three sizes too big because it's based on your shoe size. Like I joke about this a lot. I'm pretty harsh on that pretty often, especially online because 
it does. It screws you up for the next time someone goes into a shop because they have this. Like I just dropped, actually, our editor, Joe, who's listening to this, he bought a, a boot at the Boston Ski Expo, which is this week, a few years ago, in a 28.5. I sized him, and the dude is in a 24.5, right? And this is a skier. Like this is somebody who skis skis, right? And somebody just told him, I'll buy a full tilt. It works. It fits. No, not to call you out, Joe. You can bleep your name out if you want. <laughs> but, dude, he came in to see me, and, like, I fit him in a boot. Yeah. And it, it was just crazy. And it was crazy to him because in his mind, you he could not fit because of the size of his leg, could not fit a regular boot on there, right? Like, it just was in his head that, like, I need to go to a huge length boot to make the rest of the boot fit. But it's just not true. It's just the wrong boot. And I think so many people have this issue where they're like, oh, I have a wide foot. I'm going bigger. I'm a 15 shoe. But realistically, they're in, like, a 29.5. You know, it, that, that change is so interesting. And it's it's so important for people to get a solid boot fitter, at least somebody that just knows what they're talking about. You don't need to go in there and be like, you're buying a 299 boot. You don't need to get the guy that's been fitting boots for 30 years. Like if you get yeah. them cool, but that's not, it's not what everybody needs, but it's important to sit down with somebody and make sure it's actually the right shape and the right style for your foot. Yeah. I mean, so. at the end of the day, it's a lot of money and it's, yeah. yeah it's, Even at 300 bucks, it's like yeah. 300 bucks is a lot of money, period. Yeah. You know, and like there are options out there that will work. So like, yeah, take the time and be stoked with your, be stoked with your boots. Even if you don't buy a Fisher boot, like find one that, that works for you. Yeah. Um, I know on our side, we're pushing, trying to get as much information out as possible. I mean, from my view, it's interesting to watch. Like we, we're years in advance, as you know, working on the development of a new collection, putting together all the materials. And then we start (laughs) going, (laughs) I just knocked over the new collection. (laughs) Then we start going through the sales process and bringing it to market. And at every level, you're giving information to a, to a, a room of people and everybody in that room is going to be passing that information on to another room of people. Right. And by the time we go do these tours and talk to the shop kid who's, who's selling this stuff, it's interesting to see what has, has landed. And I, a good boot fitter who has experience with the stuff, um, can save you a lot of, a lot of headache. Yeah. Um, kind of on a different note here, like it, it it's funny, the gap in information, for people when you talk about the cost of a ski boot, right? The, one of the biggest things we always talk about is accessibility and cost of gear and all this kind of stuff, right? And at the same time, we're talking about boots that cost $1,000 and all this stuff and getting intimate with the product. And, and that just is a hurdle that exists. But when you talk about the amount of R&D that goes into this stuff, I think people don't really understand what that means. It's like you're here in this country for the sole purpose of like showing boots, talking about boots, getting feedback, for X amount of time. And that's just you, just a specific trip, just this one time. So there's costs involved in this R and D thing that I think people have no concept of because even as a consumer, if you tell me R and D to me, that doesn't need like, even as somebody who knows how important it is and knows that it exists. If you told me like a sneaker costs this much in R and D per shoe, based on the amount of, based on the amount of units that's sold and whatever the overall margin is, I would probably be like, why? Like, why does it need to be that expensive? But there's so many things that go into this process and so many years in advance that you're testing these things so that they come out good because the shit is so complex. Yeah. That, I like, mean, for for listeners who don't know the kind of the time schedule, I mean, right now we are uh, well in the 25, 26 collection in terms of kicking off R&D, um, divining, drawing up what's coming there. 26, 27 is, is like penciled in. So 
the the roadmap is long and that's what these trips are also like what is that next trend yeah um where should we go because we can't overnight make the stuff the stuff gets sold one year before it's really shipped to market right and by the time we present it we want to be confident and i think we did a good job this year and that's kind of the the one of those key inputs as we're starting to define the stuff is being confident that this is the right direction we're building something somebody wants we're interrupting this wonderful conversation about ski boots to tell you about ski boots from my favorite ski boot brand uh, we didn't just put this ad in here because Christoph was sitting across from me. Fisher has come so far in the past couple of years in the way that they make boots. And they also make literally the best kids boot for your little one size 20 and a half and below that has ever existed is the first innovation in ski boots in like 25 years. It feels like it is insanely light. It looks sick. We are campaigning to get a 27 five, but um, TBD on that one. They make a huge range of boots, whether they are, an Alpine touring boot, a boot like the Ranger series that is a crossover option that you can ski all day and also tour in all day. Transalp, which is an awesome boot as well. That is basically like the bridge between traverse, like your ski Moe lightweight boot to your Ranger. Transalp sits nicely in between there. We talk about all this stuff. It's an amazing boot line and I'm psyched for people, more and more people to get into these things because the way that they're progressing, this thing is happening so fast and the stuff is just good. Like look at how, sick this kid's boot is like i'm actually going to go to fisher go to the fact or go to the offices in new hampshire and protest about getting a 27.5 because i want one so badly but go to your local ski shop get yourself a fisher one or a fisher two uh for your little one or if for some reason you have really tiny feet that works too um and check out everything fisher has to offer at fishersports.com and as always Thank you, Fisher, for supporting what we do. Yeah, and obviously at this point, this has been a pretty inside baseball kind of conversation, and I think I, I never know whether people actually like that. I think there's like a certain percentage <laughs> of the population or listenership that is like really into this kind of stuff, but also there's a good portion that has no idea what any of it means, so it's it, I always kind of try to caution it. But I, one of my questions, I guess, is what is that, what does it look like for you when you're looking at a product and you have to make like a last minute change, like how do you make that last minute adjustment? Because you hear on the retail side, you hear about this stuff all the time, right? Especially I feel like it happens way more with clothing because it's easier to change, but like say a zipper's wrong, right? The direction, small tweak in the direction, the color is off based on feedback on final showing to everybody. Ski boots have kind of a similar issue where like you have to make a last minute tweak, whether it's even as simple as like a graphic change is that a stressful thing to you? Is that a thing that you welcome? Like that last minute, like pull trigger? Because there's a lot of ego that goes into it's, putting out a product. It's the worst thing possible, you know. <laughs> it's the worst thing possible to try to try to make a last minute change. I mean, the, yeah. simply put, the you think of a, a graph, the 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 cost of some of a change. The yeah. closer you get to like when it needs to be finished, the cost goes up, and the ability to change things goes down. Yeah. So if it's Two years before we're planning to go to market, the the cost to change it is minimal, and the amount that we can still change is huge. And every month that takes on closer to that, the cost goes up, and the amount you can change is it yep. is reduced because you're dealing with yeah big aluminum steel molds and a yep. lot of things. You want this stuff to be tested. You want to have 
um, durability tests. You want to have skier feedback. You want to have skier days on it. So everything that gets changed last minute is is a bigger night nightmare, a headache. Also, you you got samples to deal with. So right. then dealing with that to say, yeah, you got that sample that boot, but like X Y Z changed by the production. <laughs> right. Ones. I mean, like you you're on the receiving end of this stuff. So we yeah. want to limit as much as possible, which is like. Again, dealer trying to touch and have chats with you guys, right. um, and people who are really on the ground, so that we make the right decisions because we have to start planning, investing now for stuff that you're going to see years down the road. And right. then you come and say, like, oh, man, why didn't you do this? Right. And Which I, is why this is important. Like, this trip and this type of trip is important. Sure. Like, it's necessary. It's not just, like, shaking hands, kissing babies type stuff. Like, and it is, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's, uh, we ask a lot of questions, and, like, at least I'm now getting accustomed to the, the timing in the industry in, in my role. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been doing it for, for all that long, but to know, okay, these are the questions that I'm going to have to to give an answer to in yeah. January and February next year. Yeah. What questions can I ask now that I, when I'm faced with that decision, that I, I feel confident in? It. And, I mean, largely thanks to you and your 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 circle of influence, we get a lot of questions about, like, a kid's boot in size 27.5. <laughs> and in my role, I have to decide... <laughs> Does it make sense to do something like that? I was expecting a pot, you know, a compliment that's like, oh, look at what you did. But it's like, oh, yeah, you fucking talked about a kid's boot that doesn't exist for so I long. Get, I get a fair <laughs> number of questions. When is the Fisher 1 or the Fisher 2 going to come in a size 27? And so we write that down on like our list of ideas and say, does it make sense? Is there a market for it? And so we go out and ask, and I'm like, I'm not comparing that that theoretical boot to like a Nordica HF, but I'm definitely in there always asking like, so exactly how many of these boots do you sell here? Do you need more of? Yeah. I'll tell you what though. I hate that boot. And I was such a big hater of that boot when it came out, but there is a, an audience that really likes that kind of thing. And there's an opportunity that does or does not exist. And we'll, we'll go into this later in the (laughs) year, I think, but uh, there is definitely an opportunity for something not like this and this soft, but something that slips on, you know, like that is like, I don't ski. I am Kim Kardashian and I make 17 turns a year yeah. and I want a nice, comfortable boot that like allows me to just get on hill. Like, and that is a, that is a big part of the consumer base. Yeah. And I mean, my role in a conversation <laughs> like this is to say, like, what am I prepared to pre- brief the development team on in terms of these yeah. needs? We yeah, need yeah, something yeah. that looks like a Yeezy. Yeah, and works 100%. For, I, I dare say these these hipster to, to yeah. strong skiers who, like, have four other boots probably already. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There is, like, a there's a vein that I think is missing in ski boots, and this is, like, on the consumerism side, like, people are probably going to be like, shut the fuck up, Adam. But it's... <laughs> Like, you look at people's sneakers and the way that they buy sneakers, like, they have everybody has, like, not everybody, but, like, there's the amount of people that own 20 or more pairs of shoes is huge. (laughs) Like, there's so many people that own more than 20 pairs of shoes. Like Probably own around 20 pairs of shoes. Like, it's a threshold. Like, it's an actual measurement that you hear people talk about sometimes for, like, a a relevance of how much you care about footwear, right? It's like you just kind of acquire 20 pair of wearable shoes. You probably only wear five or something like that, right? But Exactly. The... Ski boot market has an opportunity similar to this at a cheaper level where like they buy the boot in a limited quantity because it's cool and it's like a flex to have 
And that's an opportunity to sell some product that I think some companies take care of. And K2 does this, but I think K2 does a shitty job at it, right? Where they like make a limited release and it's ugly as shit and like whatever, they leave it alone. They do a great job in skis, but on the boot side of things, they're sorry, Tom and Brad, if you're listening to this, but uh, I mean, it just is, there is a vein there. And I think like that kind of boot, there's a, there's a way to correlate it. Even if it's not a real ski boot, like to me, that boot could be this. Like I'm dead serious. Like that could look like this. No questions asked. You could make that in a sneaker. Like Fisher Austria could make that in a sneaker and it would be a unit. Like it would be a needle mover. This is not what you want to hear as like a technical product. (laughs) Um, I think this is a, I mean, it's, this is going to be, if, if we continue on this idea, then it's like, it's a fun one, fun one to pitch internally and say like, no. Let me pitch. Adam's it. gonna buy. Adam's <laughs> gonna buy a thousand pairs of these. Dude, do you know how many people? How many of these stupid things we sell? It is crazy how many retailers sell this thing. Full Tilt's not making them because they're fun. Okay. Line K two did not keep them and move them to Line because they're fun. Like for sure, <laughs> it's a product. It's a real product. Yeah. I, I mean. Anyway, Austria, we'll we'll talk in March or February or whatever. To be continued. I think. Yeah. Where we're at today, I think we've pushed the Fisher collection. I think the last last number of years we've started to yeah. to develop on the, the d- design front. I think the the brand image is is headed in a positive direction. I, I think we got a lot of um, visibility and kind of came closer to top of mind with the Ranger Ranger yeah. skis. For sure. Pink Ranger and then yeah. the new the new series last year, this year. Um, we want to keep pushing in that direction, especially on boots. Um, I think we're we're strong on the touring front. Um, so Yeah. I would argue are, probably the strongest, like of the real of like the consistent Alpine brands. I mean, there's who to compete like it's Technica maybe is like yeah. the only one that's like really comparable for the major brands that is in that same Yeah that makes a touring category but it's like i told you this before it's the most complete touring category already mm. as you move forward so i think and what you guys are doing to move into kind of taking over that all mountain category and dialing that in the same way you did with touring is really important right because there's a boot for the three different types of people that tour people that don't give a shit about touring or like people that are really aggressive and tour you know five times ten times a year by a ranger people that are looking to like tour a little more often but like need a burlier boot um, buy a Transalp. Yep. And then people buy a Traverse if they're looking for this super lightweight, airy, not even really ski, like almost a ski mo boot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting category for you guys to kind of own. And it makes sense. Like it's kind of always where Fisher's been. Yeah. But stuff is starting to become more skiable. The line is kind of being completed. And I think now as you move into the all mountain boots have always been really good. But I think this next line that we'll talk about at the end kind of and people won't hear until January is a new level, you know, and I think that that's like you almost like have unlocked this ability to be like, look, we have a top, top level all mountain boot and arguably something that's going to be the best all mountain boot that comes out, which is an interesting place for Fisher to be in because you can kind of corner that boot market in a way that hasn't really been done before by the brand. Yeah, I mean, um don't know if i'm ready to claim cornering the market but i think no but we see it as a segment where we're really strong on the ski side yeah curve skis all of our front side skis rc1 gts even some of the skinnier rangers and then we've got the whole line of rc4 like piece carving skis yeah i mean we've got a lot of 
really strong skis and we move units there. Yeah. And on the boot side, um, we haven't had that same, same match. Yeah. On the touring side, I think the boots have been really strong for us for the last number of years. Yep. And we've been catching up on the ski side there. Um, on the race side, I think what we did with Podium LT, a junior race boot last year, I think I feel really strong about what we've got in that race segment. So mm-hmm. this on-piste mass consumer segment that, in my mind, works for 80% of skiers is like is critical. That's the the bread and butter of most ski brands is to, to, to own that market. It's probably like it overlaps with with some of the Ranger skier. Yeah. Ranger skier is not always skiing a Ranger 50-50 boot. Yeah. Ranger skier is frequently skiing a fixed cuff boot. Yep. And I know from our team guys, I mean, a lot of them skiing a race boot. And I think what we've got coming now for 23-24 is mm-hmm. to to bring the performance level, bring the fit, bring that that boot that has been missing to pair with your Ranger 102 if you're if you've got a if you've got an attack binding on it. Right. Say. Like that person has been the really strong skier has been going for a race boot just because they know those ski well. But yeah. You miss out a lot of things, or the downsides of a race boot are just yeah. There's yeah. There's some glaring. The best ski day if it's cold, if you're walking a lot, and if yeah, right. you're hucking yourself, you're gonna bang your toes. So we're we we're conscious of that, and I think that's kind of the the big step we're looking to yeah to make. Well, yeah, and I guess when I say cornering the market too, it's like I, I don't necessarily mean numbers and dollars wise, but I mean like in terms of having an an available boot line for every category, right? Mm-hmm. That's complete because I I think you always see this, and you guys are guilty of this, right? Currently, where like yes, there's great boots across the line, but there's touring as a category that is almost finished. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, nothing's ever a finished product, and there's always tweaks, and there's tr- tweaks of the trends upcoming, but. I think if you were to be like, look, here's the three boots that we offer in this category, you could put that up against anybody else's three boots and feel confident that it's a quality, like, top-level product, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, the comment to confidence was yeah. Um, one thing that, for me, for this last three years since I joined in my role, um, everybody in my my life, more or less, is a skiing-related yeah. So growing up as a racer, my whole family in Europe and in, in the States are all passionate skiers. And I get the question a lot from also uh, friends who, because of me, would be interested in supporting Fisher, getting a Fisher boot. Yeah. What boot do you recommend? And for the last couple of years, I've been <laughs> like, 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 I know how you ski. We ski together and like, I'd like, wait a couple of years. And so yeah. this is the year where I'm saying like, for my dad, for yeah. my mom, or Charlie Reynolds, like the ex the yeah. ex racer, like those guys who are strong skiers don't need to be a race boot anymore. Are right. finding some sort of compromise right now, like to to have something where I can above all personally say like this will I stand behind this. This is gonna bang for you. You're gonna have a good time skiing it, right? And you're not gonna suffer to be skiing this boot, right? Yeah, and I guess for people that aren't aware of this, like, Christoph has always been very honest about this, right? Like, he's always willing to be like, just shut up for a minute. Like, yeah. just wait and, like, don't push it that But, like, that's appreciated, and that's a thing that, like, I think the new school is willing to do, right? Like, people, like, our age mm-hmm. are willing to be like, look, I want to sell you a Fisher product. Like, that is my goal at the end of the day, and I have the same thing all the time. But, like, I'm not going to put somebody in a product that, like, is going to come back to me, and they're going to be like, nah. Right. If I know something's coming, if I know something fits better, if I know 
something's going to change, I'm not going to do that, like pull the wool over your eyes and pretend that this is the best one because like there's no longevity in that. Your yeah. friends trust you because you're honest with them. The people that come to you trust you because they're you're honest with them. It's just they're not going to keep doing that yeah. if you're going to sell them a product. And again, I'm not talking about any particular product that's in line that I'm like, oh, this is bad. Like nothing's bad. Yeah. Right. It's just there's something for everybody. And that's the whole point of having a, an open market. I mean, yeah, listen, we we ski all of our boots. And I, I mean, it took me it took me a couple of years to like have fully skied and formed an opinion on all the boots that were in the in the collection when I started in the role. Um, and since like continuing every chance I get to ski every competitor boot, all, all the new relevant ones like we've been skiing and yeah, the 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 other brands aren't sleeping so yeah keep pushing and i like i'll tell you about the the competitor boots that i think are sweet but we're always looking ourselves in the mirror too to say like yeah yeah traverse boot is good but we can make it better there's stuff we can adjust yeah yeah i mean that boot's been the same for a long time too and like it is at one point it was the gold standard yeah right and it still is an excellent boot like i actually for certain things i still think it's it's a wonderful product yeah but there's always stuff you can do to improve but yeah, it's important. It's funny, like, you look at a lot of these people that work at brands, like, in, in the same role as you, and I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that actually cares more than you do. Like, you get very ex- I I, like, vividly remember you, like, <laughs> screaming at me in Winter Park last year about a 130 flex boot for women, and, like, it exists. This is why it's important. Like, I'm trying to get everything I can get done. This, like, like literally, he's, like, yelling at me at, like, 8 o'clock at night about ski boots. And I think that's what... I think that's what's important for Fisher going forward because for a long time it almost felt a little like stuff is stale. And I yeah. think in the last six years, stuff has made this big flip where it's not just like the the Euro brand that you buy like a high-end product from, right? It's like people actually really, really give a shit, Yeah, you know? So, I mean, kudos to you. Like it's not – this isn't a fluff session, but I really <laughs> – I, I appreciate it. Like because it's – one because that's how I feel about shit when I look at stuff and I get excited yeah. about something. It's like you almost want to like pull your hair out. You're like – you're like twitching. Yeah. No. Um, happy to hear that. And yeah. yeah, like I'm stoked on boots. It's – Yeah. It's uh, – I spend a lot of my day every day in this world and like I don't think I could have put up with it if it didn't excite me the same way. And yeah. Like – yeah, wanna I want to have the best ski day out there, and I want to. I know that we can we can provide that to to the to the average skier out there as well. Yeah, and you're taking ownership of it. You know, like this is your you're in the boot <laughs> position. This was always the thing that I felt like you drove home for me was like you're in the boot position. This is stuff that like I did not put this one. Out. I remember like year one when we first talked, you were like, I did not put this one out. This is not my pro. I had my hand. I touched it, but I wasn't like in it in it. And then like. Transalp came out and you're like I had a lot more to do with this one and then this new one's coming out and it's like you can see that you're just like thrilled about it and anxious about it yeah. which I think is important too <laughs> yeah I mean um, yeah nobody's sleeping and I think we've talked about it in the past I mean there's like eight million little decisions that come in to to to, to finish <laughs> finishing a boot like that and yeah um, okay well that's that part that's my actual like interview style questions but i have about a million questions from people um that want a million quite literally yeah a, a million maybe maybe slightly less but um there's a lot of questions about boots some about competitor boots and specific things but i'm going to try to ask as many of the like top level 
surface ones as I can because there's a lot of stuff that I think people actually need explained. Okay. Um, for example, is grip walk worth it on a non-ski touring boot, right? Like what is the actual benefit of grip walk? Why, why should people care about it? Because I think this is a thing that people don't understand why we're changing it, why it's different, why, why it matters. So grip walk is worth it. Yes. <laughs> get, get a grip walk boot if you can. And it's worth it to, to get a grip walk compatible binding just to be able to have mm. the grip walk soles. Um, they're grippy. Um, so they are textured with rubber. You can walk um, much easier with it. They've got the beveled sole, so you actually can roll. You don't get this clomping sensation that you do with an alpine sole. Um, wears better, grips better, just is is a more comfortable stride. For me, the last time I put my race boots on and I <laughs> ski a lot of grip walk boots, I just ate shit so hard in the parking garage and just yeah. like landed on my ass. Um, it's, it makes skiing, walking easier, um, in terms of a performance, uh, yeah, deficit to anything else. I mean, don't ski, a race setup with grip walk soles, but for everything else, like it's there, um, it's needed to make like a ranger pin compatible. So the grip walk factors into some of the, some of the 95, 23 norms, Mm -hmm or for the multi, multi-norm multi bindings, like they don't work with an Alpine sole. So it gives you binding compatibility. Um, I think looking at the market, most of the companies are going towards Gripwalk now. Bindings have been on that standard for a while. Um, the excuse of I have so many old skis without Gripwalk bindings, I think it's worth getting yourself a boot with that feature and working to phase out those skis or update the bindings because the, the benefit is is real. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, some companies like, look, you can buy a, a grip walk plate, basically, and put that thing down on your bindings. Like, that stuff is exist. And I think that the whole industry wouldn't get behind it. There was, like, that little war that was going on between WTR and grip walk for a little I mean, while. Grip walk has, is unanimously won. Yeah. Um, last year... They got minted into an ISO standard. So yeah. there's the ISO 23223, which is um, formerly the, the, the Gripwalk um, WTR that's gone. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I dare say 90% of the bindings out there, excluding the race bindings, are really yeah. compatible with it. Um, all of the attacks from Tyroli are there. Um, and, yeah, it, including the junior boots for Fisher, we standardized on them so um that's a, that's a minor point but for the retailer that's carrying that boot um whole pattern is the same you can switch every grip walk sole to a uh alpine sole um specialist boot fitters will talk about canting and alignment you can can't using cantology shims you can yeah. can deal with it you can't get the same read out of the boot, but there's solutions for that, and I think that's a, a smaller part of the market where the end consumer, even if it makes that fitting alignment right. step a touch more difficult, the consumer has really won big time when it comes to getting from the parking lot to the lift. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, it's like, think about screwing a 2 by 4 to your foot. You know right. what I mean? Like, that's the same length as a ski boot. Like, think about how hard that would be to walk it, you know? Like, you're just clanking around. And yeah. I think that's that's somebody explained it to me like that a few years ago, and it's it makes sense because <laughs> a grip walk sole makes it almost more shaped like your foot, and it's really as simple as that. 
just allows you to, especially like now with all the parking shit, like if you're getting free parking somewhere, you're huffing, you know, yeah. like you're, you're moving. Like, yeah. and that's a, that's an important kind of thing for people to understand. Like it's not, there's always these changes that happen in the industry that I feel like people just, <laughs> Lando's like playing with buttons in there. <laughs> um, there's these changes that I think get made in the industry that people feel like are just to get you to buy new stuff. This is not one of those changes. For me, no. It is it is a massive benefit. Take advantage of it. Don't be don't be afraid. Yep. Um, this is actually a really good question. Um, a little in the again actually. inside baseball. Yeah, like it's actually a really good question. Um, why can't ski boot models list instep heights along with width and length? Um. I guess comes down to how you define it. Yeah. Um, broad scheme of things. We have those measurements internally, um, but it's it's a communication thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you define the, the width of the boot? Mm-hmm. You've got, is it at the widest point? Is it at the place where the first buckle closes? How high up the boot do you go? Um, do you keep that width completely parallel or do you really try to connect? I mean, if you think of the 3D model of the inside of the boot, uh, the cavity of the shell, mm-hmm. it's not self-explanatory and it's not exactly a comparable figure if we just give you a cut and say it's this wide and this size at this boot, mm-hmm. this wide. I mean, we have that info and those are the things that, um, can be can be requested on demand, but I think in terms of communication to the market, to the to the boot fitter, yeah, it doesn't really help you um, as yeah. much as you would like. Um, I think the shortcut there is over some scans where you don't need to, yeah, actually calculate them all out. But um, yeah, last width is a similar topic of last yeah. width that's communicated on size twenty six five, but. You know that every hundred millimeter lasted boot is not the same. Yeah, right. How do you even take that measurement? It's definitely not a standardized input. Right. Yeah, I think that's always a thing I have a hard time with is talking about last with people. It's like, why is this last bigger than this last? Why is this this? And obviously, part of the answer too is that there's multiple different things that are affecting the way that that last feels. Right between liner your footbed that's in there and where your height is in that liner, the shell. So it, those measurements are great, but I think people, it, it's almost like people want that arbitrary number, right? It, Cause like flex is an arbitrary number for the most part, right? It's, it's relative to a boot line, you know, a model line, not even like shell to shell to shell. And that's another question somebody had that we'll kind of go into a little bit is why isn't there a standardization of flex, but the it, it's, almost like people look for those those baseline numbers the same way people feel about mondo right yeah uh, mondo is mondo boots all length is totally different a 27 yeah. is not a 27 i i feel like there is a benefit to sticking a number on it just so people have an idea but it's almost like the industry does need to kind of get their shit together and talk about what that looks like but there is an opportunity like all oh, you guys talk yeah like there is a chance that this can change if it's wanted to change from yeah, I mean, uh, for me, that's a question that falls in the category of a question for a question's sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, like, right. what do you what do you need that info for? Like, right. is that going to inform you as an end consumer? Is that going to inform you as a dealer? It's another number to throw out there. Yeah. Um, does it help you at the end of the day? I think you're confusing more. But um, yeah, 
Yeah, I, mean, I don't head, totally disagree. Head did it with the cubic centimeters. They oh, used to communicate gross. volume, not in millimeter <laughs> last widths. And like, I don't know. We're talking about a complex 3D yeah. surface, 3D volume. Yeah. It's standardized measurements are, are always going to have a certain asterisk caveat to them to be usable. I don't yeah. know. I think we have bigger problems. And um, back to your first question, I mean, visit a boot fitter and try them on. visit a retailer that has a selection of boots to try on and you'll realize that you'll feel that before you can calculate that out in excel i think people yeah and i agree i think the the answer and the reason people want this number is so that when they go to buy a boot online they know ahead of time you know what i mean like i think it does eliminate the need for a boot because a boot fitter looks at it and goes oh or knows right because they put the boot on they played with the boot they have an idea of what that looks like so um same question i guess then while we're on this for flex why is there not as obviously different plastics, different things that go into it, but how is there still not a relative scale for ski boots in like, cause everybody's like, we talked about it earlier. We've talked about it a million times probably where it's like one thirty is not a one thirty. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's a question of too many variables. Yeah. So you're starting again with this complex 3d, volume that has mm-hmm. lots of different nooks and crannies and different shaping for for um, your foot you have on top of that volume you have the wall thickness that is not like a boot is not the exact same thickness mm-hmm. all the way around it's thicker at the soles and has yep. has a certain has a certain flow to it part of that is to dictate the performance but the other factor there is to make sure that the the piece is injectable that when yep. you connect the the injection nozzle, that the material flows, that the that the end result is proper. Right. All those things play then uh, a factor in subjective flex, and right. so because that shape is always the same per every boot in that family, so that the one thirty has the same shape as the one twenty to the one ten. Within that kind of a world, you could standardize and come up with some sort of quantitative empirical rating. Mm. But if you compare the Ranger 130 with the Hawks Prime XTD with a Cochise, the wall thickness, the the geometry, the shape of that volume, without getting into the different types of materials, are you're already so far away. So we do it in the lab where we, we have a machine and we'll put a standard force through it and we'll do that as kind of a sanity check. That info is non-relevant to to the to the skier in the sense that um, you experience the subject uh, the flex subjectively, and as soon as you step in, you're gonna decide if it's stiff enough uh, or soft enough for you. And a different foot in the same boot is gonna have a different experience of this flex. If you've mm-hmm. got a skinny little foot, if you're sized up or sized down. If you're a 26.0 skiing a 26.5 shell or you're a 26.0 skiing a 25.5 shell, it's going to feel different. As the boots get smaller, the material usually stays the same. Um, some of the smaller boots get softer material, but the smaller that surface is, the less it deforms, the higher the subjective flex is, everything equal. So. Yeah. Uh, so problem of variables, and again, kind of back to the measurements, it's like we can overwhelm the market with some more info, but it, at yeah. the end of the day, it's 
the best solution is to go to a retailer and try on the Nordica 130, try on the Fisher 130, and find out what works for you. Uh, last ad of the day. Thank you for being here, and thank you for listening. If you are an ad listener, um, I very much always, always, always appreciate it. Uh, the original American Hard Cider is Woodchuck. Go to woodchuck.com and check out all of the amazing offerings that these people have. It is, it's insane. Like they have, if you don't think you're a cider person, I challenge you to try one of every flavor of Woodchuck and tell me that you're no longer, like that you still don't like ciders. It's pretty insane. And there is a flavor for everyone, whether that's Rosé, Perseco, Paloma, Guava Nother, uh, Pumpkin. There's, there's a million. There's traditional apple nonetheless a lot of ciders coming out of vermont stuff is incredible and they can ship it to you now in most states so get yourself hooked up to your door woodchuck.com and be sure to visit the cidery go to vermont visit the cidery hang out have a drink have a great time go skiing go to stow if you're going to stow you're going to sugar bush you're going to any of these places stop by and hang out at the woodchuck cidery Cool. Back to our episode with Christoph Lentz. Thank you very much, as always. And uh, that's all I got. Bye. It, it's funny. There's I'm looking through the questions real quick here, and like there's probably two dozen about flex and yeah. standardization and questions about it. So it's like it's clearly something people care about. But I agree. There's just a lot of variables, and like even when you talk about like the shin height, right, and the leverage that goes into a boot, right. You talk about like it's just going to feel different from person to person. And I think it's hard to put a number on that. It's almost weird that a number is put on that. It's like, what do you do? Do you do old full tilt and be like, this is a six, this is an eight, this is a 10. Cause it's solely based on that. But there's not that same ability because the flex is not really controlled by this one tiny little piece. It's controlled by a lot more than that in a three piece shell, you know, that's two piece shell rather. Yeah. That's the nature of it. Um, and I mean, every, every material responds differently to temperature. So right. the PA materials in a Turing boot have a smaller range, yeah, um, of of kind of flex yeah. that it'll modify. A PU shell boot has better has different different thermodynamic properties, so it will feel different at minus twenty versus positive twenty. Right. Every material, so I mean, like the 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 foxhole of every size, every model. Um, every material across every brand with every type of foot mm-hmm. is like would need to be factored into a standardized rating and we're not there yet. And yeah. I think the current system works well, but I think to the point at the beginning, don't be afraid of buying a 120 boot. Right. Like they're, they're good as well. And it is a bit of a price signaling as we've touched about, but yeah. I don't see us changing that in this conversation, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I don't see us changing very much, to be honest. But so last bit on this. When flex is considered, is it considered cold? Is it considered warm? Is it where, like, it, is it just based on the hardness of the boot in a standard, like, in a constant setting? What? Because I think we hear that all the time. Consumer hears it all the time in a shop this is going to get stiffer than this boot when it's cold. This feels this way when it's cold. This is cold. Sorry that you're trying it on. You know, like that yeah. kind of stuff is actually a very relevant topic. For sure. Um, we do most of our testing and our, I'm not say testing, but our 
our lab verifications about durability, mm-hmm. so breakage tests, um, long long time tests, durability tests, where we've got it in a machine, we're doing those at really cold temperatures, right? Uh, at a temperature colder than where the boot would ever actually be skied. Yep. Um, but the the final decision for kind of deciding is this the right mixture for a given flex comes down to ski experience under varying conditions, but targeting that like minus or not minus I'm thinking in Celsius, but targeting, yeah, 20 degrees, 25 degrees. Yeah. Like that temperature we are often skiing at and deciding, okay, like, are we happy with how this boot skis? Right. That's probably first and foremost. And the second one is what is the consumer going to experience when they try this in the shop at, 50 60 degrees right and that's where kind of unfortunately i mean like boot testing is definitely not as common as ski testing right ideal and i'd be stoked if we could get every potential customer to to try a 130 and a 110 it's hard. and try t- one or two different models and when well, people don't want to do it too it's i hard. mean it makes sense like the get the it, yeah. retailer doesn't want to have a demo fleet of every boot and every size either the retailer barely wants to try on boots at demo days Exactly. So that's where, yeah. I don't know. Some go, people do. Like, the people that do, do, and they want to put it on their foot. But, like, hardly anybody wants to take a boot, go ski it, like, cold. You know, it's just, yeah, you have and, a lot of variables. And since nobody's really doing that or the the, the slimmest minority is, is doing that, I mean, yeah, involve a knowledgeable boot fitter retail, uh, ski retailer who has right. skied this boot. And at the very least, has fit other people into this boot to to help you get that sense. Because yeah, it's it's understood right. that you're unfortunately not going to be able to ski your new boot before you buy it. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Um, okay, let's do a couple more here. Um, do one or two more, and then we'll leave the last little bit. Um, boot leakage. Is that an issue that you guys come across a lot? Is that a hard problem to fix? I think a lot of brands do have issues. You see a lot of people with duct tape on the front of their boot. I mean, I haven't experienced it very much in anything other than a touring boot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems like on the touring boot, because it's open as you're touring, that's when some of that leakage happens. But in terms of like actually skiing it, I, I'm seeing it less and less. From And granted, I've been skiing your stuff mostly mm-hmm. for the past few years in terms of actually putting real days on stuff. Yep. So I'm not seeing it that much. Is that, how do you guys fix that problem? Is that a, that's a major consideration, obviously. We're skiing in wet conditions, but it, why is it a hurdle for some brands to get over? Um, kind of the roundabout answer is, comes back to the complexity and the investments needed to, to create the tooling. I mean, keep in mind, you're milling this big mold. Yeah. And one of those things that's in that shell, in the, the base design, is how much overlap do you have between the lower... We're talking about an overlap yeah, yeah. boot here then, not a cabrio, but in an overlap boot, you've got a lower shell, upper shell. Yep. It needs to be built, and the tool needs to be built in a way that it, the shell can come out of that mold. Okay. Like, it needs to be extractable. Right, right, right. So that's a factor that determines, like, how do you actually build the geometry? Because it not ne- not only needs to be the right boot, but it needs to work in an industrial sense. Right. And once you've built that, then you, you go skiing. You've tinkered in CAD. You've 3D printed it. You've done whatever to, like, decide on the shape. Then you go make it. And th- only then do you notice, like, you can't simulate water 
yeah um waterproofness or leakage and so if you don't do your homework slash mistakes are made slash you've got a flaw in the design once you get that piece you're going to lead to to leakage and then you've got a lot of creative solutions out there in terms of limiting that yeah um putting in a little piece of leather pvc some extra little flap riveted in certain models have that not a, not fisher models but there's markets uh boots out there on the market certain construction certain concepts struggle with that yeah um, with the new stuff we've brought i mean it's been a focus of ours um fisher boots i don't know 12 years ago had more of a leakage problem yeah and so there's certain little tricks in the in the very base in the very early days where you need to build in things that work for that it's also uh yeah tooling question of how that um place where the water protector goes in you have a hole in the front that's usually filled with something rubber there's maybe a rivet in it like it's a it's an industrial problem for for solving that and once you have a leaky boot it's expensive to try to correct that and those are yeah super difficult things to to retouch or yeah to fix in that so they'll just run it and so then you run it and for certain boots out there yeah it's crazy it's, though that's still a thing Duct tape is a solution. So, whatever. Um, okay, last last one, and it actually pertains to boots that you guys don't currently make. Um, one rear entry, which I don't really want to spend that much time on because I I don't I don't think it warrants it. I think there's a certain consumer base that does it, and it's such a small piece of the pie. I get I get why that doesn't exist from you guys right now. Um, my the bigger question here is when you're exploring these shapes and different designs and ways to go down kind of the rabbit hole of making a new product it is a three-piece shell or a cabrio design a consideration for you guys because to me it, it does have this cult following right like there are people who think that they need and maybe they're right i don't know but that think that they need a three-piece shell that think that they need something that exists in this vein and to me you've watched if you've watched the progression of these boots over the past 10 15 years it's clear that there, it's not just a solution because they change their mind on stuff as they're making these things so much more vastly, I think, than a traditional boot. Mm. And partially because there's not as much of them, there's not as much test and all this stuff. But I remember Full Tilt was like, in the beginning, was like, oh, you don't need a footbed. We don't send them with footbeds. What do you need a footbed for? Right? Like, it was like a crazy thing. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's got to be a wrap liner. Like yeah. <laughs> it, All of this stuff. And turned out none of it was true. Right yep. now they're in their shipping stuff and flex is shipping stuff with, you know, a stock little tiny footbed in there and they're doing tongue boots. So is it, is there a benefit? Cause it's really full tilt and develop doing these things and rocks, I guess, but for, for us. And I mean, I guess that's part of these, these visits evaluations is trying to, trying to decide where the demand is and yeah. if there's really a market need and, does the market really need more rear entry boots? I have a personal opinion about that now, but what's like your personal opinion? I, I think the 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 Nordica solution I think is is good. Yeah, I think it's not not a category where we all need to to rush and yeah try to 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 take there. I know for Fisher we have other immediate goals. I think there's certain boots um, where where much more potential is in. Yeah, and. I think we can we can it's better for the brand and that's the, the direction we're going. I think 
once we we have once we're satisfied in certain open categories it's always on the table yeah um whether that's a three piece three piece boot or a rear entry boot yep right now we we're we're pleased with what we've seen on our overlap constructions and it's definitely commercially viable it works yeah. um we're experienced there um but we're always kind of testing on other stuff um that much to say yeah not not on the immediate plan but it's there's sections that we're always observing. Yeah, I think with the I mean full tilt, Reikley K2. I mean that's a mold set that has had many owners, and it's one concept that has not evolved so yeah. much. Um, for us, yeah, we're we're pleased with the overlap construction now. And, right. Um, yeah. Who knows where the future direction will shift to? But paying close attention to it. And yeah. And I don't, uh, to be fair, like my, again, my personal opinion and not because Fisher people are sitting in this room is uh, I don't like it. Like, I think it's dumb. I don't think it makes any sense. I think there's a very limit. I think it's a, it's a get around to a proper fitting boot in a lot of ways. Right. I think it's, it's a get around to making a boot fit out of the box for some people. I don't think it's a, I don't think there's a real performance benefit and I think unless you're somebody who wants to buy a 399 boot and change the tongue out so that it has the stiffness of a 699 boot, that's the only mm. real thing that I see. And you don't see that happening with Debello very much. You see, or Roxa, you see that happening with Full Tilt Flex, whatever. Yeah, I don't. I don't see a benefit to me that prevent like the big thing was like preventing shin bang. Like I, I think a proper fitting boot, there's a there's a big way to avoid getting shin bang in a boot that is not just <laughs> kind of jumping ship and going yeah. to this other design. Granted, there are people that live by this design, and there are people that like will tell me that I'm an absolute idiot because I don't have this problem, and and both of those things are probably true, you yeah. know. So it, it is interesting to me that that is a that's a market that people keep hammering on, and I I don't think that there's a huge need to to rush forward. I think if you're gonna do something like that, you might as well try something totally new. Yeah, like a like a one or a two and a twenty-seven buyer. Here it comes again. Um, <laughs> but um, I I just think that I think it's tapped. I can tell you like firsthand. Like we're we sit on cabrio boots every year. Yeah, we carry them because we need to, and like we'll barely make our money. Like we'll make our money back, and we'll sell them full tilt excluded because you know there's a there's a very specific market for that. But yeah, Pantera, Lupo, those kind of boots. Whatever the fuck Roxa makes, I don't remember what it's called. But yeah, I mean, in my 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 role, it would be, I would never say we need to make a rear entry boot or we need to make a three piece cabrio boot. It would be starting to say like, who is this consumer? What are their needs? And like, nobody right. says I need a three piece boot or I need a rear entry boot. The, the consumer needs are something else. I need a boot that's really easy to put on. I need a boot that's Closable with no hands. I need a boot that yeah, works for mogul skiing, is ideal for park skiing, is what all the cool kids are wearing. I mean, like, there's other things at play there. And I think once we target something like that, maybe yeah. three-piece is the best solution. Maybe rear entry is the best solution. But I think right now we're focusing on on a different category. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, well, sorry to the rest of the people who didn't get your questions answered. I'll, I'll ask Christoph at a different time. Um, we're going to wrap this part of the segment up. Um, we'll go into some new boots. We'll take a quick pause, and then we'll kind of reset a little bit. Um, but 
in the meantime, if people want to bother you about food stuff, yeah, they find you. Um, I'm on Instagram, Christoph underscore Lentz, L-E-N-T-Z. Um, we'll get back to you. I think after the last one we did, I got a number of intelligent questions, so that's always cool. I yeah. love to talk boots. I'm talking boots most of the time. Yeah. Out playing in the woods. Yeah. Eating a lot of pizza. You'll see a lot of <laughs> a lot of pizza. I'm jealous. You got good pizza. You some, don't post medi- mediocre pizza. Some mountain activities. I don't post much from inside headquarters, but when I'm out and about. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us.